you know, so does that mean that you, you're divorced? And I'd say, yes, it does actually. And they say, that's amazing. We're divorced and we just assumed we could never do anything anymore mm. for the church. I'm like, no, God's plan for your life doesn't end when, you know, something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. And I think that's a real redemptive part of our story for both of us, actually. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. It's great to be back with you. Uh, Inspired, for those of you new to us, is all about telling good stories. We've been bombarded with absolute grimness and rubbish and depressing news the whole time. And I just, I, I love introducing you to a whole bunch of, of, of mates of mine who are all living their lives for Jesus in completely different contexts. And uh, this week, it's the first time we've had the other half of, as in uh, the husband-wife combination. So a few months ago, you'll remember, hopefully, some of you, Steve Legg. Uh, Steve was a, a sort of mixture of evangelist, escapologist, entertainer, magazine founder, Sorted Magazine is what he does a lot of at the moment. Brilliant podcast with him. And now we've got his far better half. We've got Becca Legg. So welcome, Becca. Ah, oh, thank you. I like being his far better half. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. People very often meet him first, but... Uh... I trail along behind, but uh, yeah, nice to be with you. Yeah, great to have you. Well, listen, um, you are the CEO of Restored. Restored, looking on the website, very small vision of a world where women live free from the fear of violence. So, I mean, that is a very clear and that is a massive vision and that is a a beautiful vision, which obviously we're going to hear more of. Um, You've taken some knocks through through the years, but uh, you've got a redemptive story to share with us and uh, I'm excited to hear it. So listen, I I don't know much at all about your background. So so what was your background? Oh, so I grew up in the West Country, which occasionally pops its head up in my accent. I will probably notice it when it does as well. I like to think I've thrown that, but I haven't, is the truth. But I grew up in the proverbial Christian family in the Cotswolds, in the very western end of the Cotswolds, quite near Bristol. Mm -hmm. And... um, Yes, no, life life was lovely, actually. And I now realise it was pretty idyllic. I grew up right on the edge of the Cotswolds, overlooking the River Severn into the mountains of Wales in a lovely little town um, with lovely friends and a great church that I grew up in. And Jesus was just always part of the family, really. Mm -hmm. From a very small girl, I can remember sitting on the carpet with my mum and dad in the living room and asking Jesus to be my friend in a way that I understood as a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and my faith has taken some ups and downs in the time since that, you know, school and university are challenges and friendship groups and the exciting things that you can see everybody else doing and think, oh, I'd quite like to do that. <laughs> it's quite fun. And I'll dabble and then I'll come back. And But actually, Jesus was always right there at the centre and got baptised when I was about 13 mm-hmm. and just always loved reading the Bible, finding out more about who God is and what he wanted his people to be doing, representing him here on earth. Great. Now, university, rocky rocky times for a lot of people with their faith. How did your faith survive university? It, well, it did and it didn't at various different points is the truth. I, you know, I genuinely did have struggles and I had times when, you know, what I felt like the constraints of my faith were just annoying. And so, you know, I'd do my, you know, stick my hands over my ears metaphorically and la 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 my way through what I you know, really God wanted for me at various points and I'd go out and party and get involved with boys I probably shouldn't have done mm-hmm. but I you know God just never let me go and I would always get to a space of do you know what I don't actually like this other kind of life it doesn't yeah. feel good it doesn't leave me feeling um, happy in the morning I don't wake up excited I end up feeling sad and a bit alone and a bit lost and a bit you know just not quite right 
And I remember one time in particular, one of my friends made a comment that really stuck with me afterwards. And she, I, I wasn't all right. And I hadn't been terribly happy for a little while. And she just said, Becca, that she wasn't a Christian. Hmm. And she said, Becca, I think you need to go and spend some time with Jesus. Wow. I looked at her and I said, why have you told me that? <laughs> like, I have to expect yeah. some other people in my life to say it. Yeah. And she said, you're always better when you're talking to Jesus. You're a different person. She said, maybe you should go and spend some time with him. And it really, you know, it really, it really hit me in a way that nothing else ever had done. That actually this was my non-Christian friend who I shared a house with. Mm-hmm. And she knew me really, really well. But she could see when my relationship with Jesus was good and she could see that it was a good thing. Mm. She could see that, that that moved me into a place in life where actually I was generally happier, but not in a, not in a, oh, my world's all happy and dancing way, but in a contented, secure, safe way. And yeah. uh, it was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, I don't want to sort of skip completely all the school years. Any sort of significant moments then? Oh, I'm just trying to think through. Oh, golly, yes. Now, I've, you know, I've got one real memory of, I can only have been in, it wasn't called Year 7 in those days, it was first year. But, uh, and I joined the, the Christian Union, and we had a fabulous teacher running that. And actually, it was the year that I was getting baptised, and my parents, I don't think parents would probably do this anymore. But at the time, I had decided I really wanted to get baptised. And my parents said, well, you're, you're quite young, but okay. But if you're going to do it, you need to invite, you know, you need, this is, this is a big thing in your life. This is a, more than you ticking a box. This is more than you doing something because it looks a bit exciting with your church friends. Mm-hmm. You should invite everybody. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she, they said, no, if you're serious about following Jesus and you're serious about representing him in the world, then why don't you put some posters up at school? And so I did. Brilliant. And actually looking for I was it was one of those things I did and I felt a bit sick and hoped nobody'd notice it. But actually I think it was this really good grounding for me to go, be all of who you are everywhere you go and don't have different sides to who you are. And uh, so I, I do I never did that again. After <laughs> year seven, I wasn't quite so bold. But actually it meant that all the way through school people knew exactly who I was, what I stood for. And sometimes that meant that I got left out of some things. And other times it meant I got sought out um, because people appreciated that my faith had an impact on who I was. And sometimes that was was something they wanted to buy into and to be part of. Yeah, yeah. And um, university years, you you shared that one experience, but uh, any other sort of key moments? Oh, do you know, I I was at three different universities as I tried to work out what I wanted to be and to do. Um, but my middle years, the three middle years were spent at Cardiff University. And there I belonged to a group called the Navigators, uh-huh. um, who were just phenomenal and exactly yeah. what I needed, actually. Because um, I do love learning. I am a bit of a learner at heart. And they created the way that they worked. It was it a was separate organisation to Christian Union. But the way that they worked, we were put in small groups of five or six, girls or boys usually. And we did really deep good bible study and there was a real expectation of studying outside before you came together on a wednesday evening and there was a but then we all met up and went to the pub afterwards but it really fed my love of understanding how everything fits together and how to really dig deep into the bible and understand context and you know translations and all these you know different things that in hermeneutics and all these different things and it but actually, it also gave me that real community of people who felt the same way as I did and who cheered me on as I cheered them on and we held each other up. And I think I think that was a real key to holding, you know, helping me to really put my roots down in where I was. Yeah. It was it was a wonderful time. 
shout out to the navigators. Yeah, love that organization. Yeah. Um, and then after university, what, what, what was your next step? Wow. So my last year at university was training it to be a teacher and I went to Cheltenham for that. Grew up in Gloucestershire, South Gloucestershire, and mm-hmm. I went to Bristol, Cardiff and Cheltenham University. Didn't go very far. And then I was looking for teaching jobs. And in those days, there was a big paper that you had, the test, um, Times Educational Supplement. Yeah. And it came out every week with all the job offers. And one day I was looking for jobs in Bristol because, you know, that was where my friends were and where I'd grown up and all the rest of it. <laughs> and then... But I flipped over to the international pages and I just got very excited about one job that I saw at a school described as a Christian, you know, a Christian boarding school in the highlands of Kenya. And there was something romantic and lovely. And I applied for a te- you know, teaching post in this school. And was then that I got Andrew's it. Story? It was Andrew's Turi. Okay, okay. My dad went to um, boarding school and uh, in Kenya, uh-huh. and and he actually wasn't Andrew's. It was Kenton College, which is uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the other key schools there. But anyway, it's a funny story because he, when when they were caned. Uh, which he got cane on a regular basis. Um, well, he basically he peed all over the the, the headmaster's floor, and uh, it left a stain for <gasps> decades. And then he went back three decades later uh, and asked if he could go and see the stain, see if it's still there, and it had been recarpeted. So, anyway, that's so a complete diversion. Back to back to St Andrews. No, that's quite something. No, there there are there's like a handful of schools in Kenya, and everybody knows everybody. Hmm. And if you've been to St Andrews, Turi then everywhere you go, you bump into somebody else who's taught there or had their kids there or who it's just one of those places. But so I I went out to this marvellous school. But when I found out I'd got the job, I did go into slight panic because I don't think I really expected to get it. Mm -hmm. And it was probably the first in a lot of moments in my life where I've pushed some doors and gone, God, if you open them, I'll walk through. But they've gone, oh, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now I have to. And it was all very exciting until... I was due to go out in September and in the August, so I'm trying to think what year, it was 1998. Mm-hmm. And in the August, July, August time, there were bombings in the embassies in Nairobi yeah. and in Tanzania. And mm. suddenly the whole thing became a little bit more frightening. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I had to really dig deep and and just go, God, are you sure you want me to do this? <laughs> and I yeah. rang the high commission here and everywhere to find out if it really was safe to go. But was persuaded and uh, so I packed my bags and uh, got on a plane and aged 22 flew to the other side of the world which felt incredibly brave at the time Mm -hmm. um, but very swiftly just became a fantastic adventure. Right and um, just trying to think in terms of chronology is that where you met your first husband? Yes it was so I taught for two years and probably about six months in I met this very charismatic enigmatic farmer who lived locally um Mm -hmm. who swept me off my feet with a big bucket of roses um from his farm and uh and 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 the rest as they say was history we were married probably a year and a half after we met and very swiftly had children um but actually and that and that, that meant i had to leave the school because where he worked he then moved his job and i ended up you know we ended up living in a beautiful place called novasha um But actually what was happening behind closed doors wasn't so beautiful. And it was a very, very tough time when I didn't really have words for what was happening. And I didn't really understand because I'd grown up, you know, in this lovely, gentle family 
um, even though they weren't gentle when they made me put posters up around school about my baptism. But they, you know, I was loved and I didn't really understand what was going on around me. And it wasn't really until my first daughter was born and the behaviours that I was seeing aimed towards me began to have an impact on this tiny little top yeah. that I adored that I began to go, this isn't okay. This This isn't sustainable. I don't know. I don't know what I do next, but this isn't. And I began to recognise that something was wrong. Yeah. Um, and it was an extraordinary couple of years. I very swiftly got pregnant again, which um, I went and had my beautiful girl, Maggie, who I have now. But, mm. you know, she knows this story. And uh, But when I found out I was pregnant with her, I cried because it just felt like, A, I wasn't ready. But B, it just felt like this big extra chain there that tied me to this misery that I was living in. Mm. And um and I didn't, I just couldn't see a way forward. I, I yeah. couldn't, you know, I'd been raised as a good Christian girl and I'd made my bed and now I had to lie in it. And I, but I didn't know, I could feel my own identity and my own self slipping away. And yeah. I, I didn't want to, but I didn't know how to bring it back. And I didn't know, and I could see that as I was slipping away, I was going to cease to be the mum that my girls needed. I didn't, know, I didn't know how to fix it. And I kept coming up with different plans. Maybe we could send them to school in England and then I'd be able to go and live there with them during term time and only be in Kenya at week, you know, at, at holidays. And I, I had so many different solutions to come up with that still fundamentally kept us together as a family because mm. I, I, I couldn't really get my head around any other option. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so no, it was uh, interesting times. For sure. I mean, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to pry, and you've obviously spoken about this before, so, I mean, share it as much or as little. What what did the mm. sort of abuse look like? Well, it began, as it often does, I now realise, it began subtly, and it began with it just being, it's, it's control. Sitting at the heart of any kind of abuse is trying to control another person, but at the beginning, you don't notice it. At the beginning, mm. it's just a comment about where you go and you in, you know and it's very easy at the beginnings of relationship and this was definitely me we just always did what he wanted mm -hmm. but i'm somebody who loves doing whatever you know i like making other people happy so yeah. it never and i had a couple of friends actually at the time who tried to raise it with me who tried to say becky no we're not entirely sure this is good you know you seem to run in circles around him and you know we're not sure we see him doing anything back and i said well you don't understand i do that for anybody i do it for you and i and i wasn't having it I couldn't see it and it mm. just be and it began so subtly and so fed into really some of who my personality is liking to that be you know hospitable and do th nice things for other people and I took a long time to realize it was never reciprocated yeah. you know and and that's and there was this imbalance and then as time grew on you know I, I stopped being allowed to see certain friends and then I wasn't allowed to wear certain things and then I had my I think probably at its at its towards its height you know i came home at one day we were i needed to go to nairobi to go shopping it was about an hour and a half away and my husband had said oh why don't you take my car and my driver which would make my life an awful lot easier with a baby and i said it's brilliant but when i got home he'd sold my car and that meant now i didn't have my own independent means of transport mm. you know and and there were and and so things like that began to slowly build up and it was impossible to question and and I, but I think what was very difficult for me was a reframing of the narrative all the time. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I might be upset at something that had been said to me. And when, you know, and then he'd come back and go, well, you know, why are you, why are you looking sad? And I said, well, you know, this, when this happened, that's, that hurt. 
And instead of us having a conversation around what had happened, he'd just be very angry. So how dare you suggest? Mm. How dare you suggest I behave like that? I'm, you know, I'm really hurt that you would, you know, you'd suggest that I do such a thing. So I'd be left thinking, well, maybe I remembered it, you know, maybe I remembered it wrong. And maybe I, oh, maybe I am going mad, you know, to the point where finally it was, he was trying to book me appointments with psychologists and convince me I was mad. And it was, so it just went on and on and on and eventually did become physically violent but that was right at the end and it was only then that i got to the point of going oh well i know this isn't okay yeah but actually the real damage had already been happening over the last number of years slowly undermining my concept of reality and i think you know in some respects it was almost good when it when it became physical mm. it obviously isn't but it in my head it was easier to understand yeah so did that mean you you did a runner yeah literally well, actually, not quite a runner. I I had got to this... In fact, God was incredible because it was my... You know, I was raised in the Brethren Church, so marriage is for life. And, yeah. you know, it was what was in my head. And I didn't... And I so I couldn't get my head around any other option. Um, and then God just worked through an extraordinary... An extraordinary way, actually. I'd, I'd come home to England to have my second daughter, Meg. And then she was a little bit ill when she was born, so I stayed a little bit longer. And one one evening, I watched Songs of Praise. It's not my normal, not my normal TV watching, but I did. And it was a choir competition. And one children's choir sang a song by Matt Redman, who I'd never heard of because I'd been in Kenya, you know, mm. in the back of beyond forever. And it was a song about the father's song. It was called, and I just really loved it. And I was watching with my sister-in-law. And when I got back to Kenya about a month later, waiting for me was a little parcel. Um, and it was a CD, this Matt Redman CD. Mm. And I took it out and I played it and I pulled out the sleeve. Those were the days when they had CDs. Mm -hmm. And I pulled out the sleeve and I read the lyrics of the song about, you know, the father singing over his children, which had meant, you know, it just caught me where I was really. And then I realised it was from Zephaniah. So then I looked at Zephaniah and I read, and as I read those verses, and it talks about sing, O daughter Zion, for the Lord um, as turning away your enemy and you need fear no longer. And I just knew that that was God saying, it's okay, I've seen it. You do not have to lie in your own bed any longer. You are not going to live in, in any fear. And I will sing my love songs over you wherever you are. And very swiftly after that, the, the wheels started moving. And I and it, and it was about the same time that the physical violence began. And so I rang the High Commission in Kenya and said, yeah, this is the situation, this is what I'm doing. Um, you know, I'm a bit nervous that he'll try and stop me leaving. What can you do to help? They said, not very much. He's too, he's too powerful. Uh, we suggest you leave in the middle of the night, you know, not in the middle of the night, because I wouldn't have been safe either in Kenya. But, mm. you know, wait for him to go to work in the morning and don't be there when he gets home. Um, but I felt very strongly as I prayed about it afterwards, as if God said, do you know what? I don't know that God does say, do you know what? But mm -hmm. in my head, it, that's how the conversation kind of went. He said, you know what? Up until now, there's been a lot of lies said to you and about you. But what, if you continue to act honourably, I will honour you and I will get you home safe. And so I felt that that was me needing to tell my husband that I was going. And um, so I, I organised everything first. And then three days before I was due to leave, or we were due to leave, me and the girls, um, I, I told him one evening... And uh, the next day he took us out for a drive into the middle of nowhere and I was absolutely terrified. Yeah. And then one of my girls in the back of the car was terribly sick, which is normally just gross, but actually was wonderful because at that point, my husband said, do you know what? This is pointless. Turned the car around and took us home. And to wow. this day, I don't know what his intentions were. I know how frightened I was, 
but he brought me home and uh, and then God brought me home. And, you know, we got on a plane and I didn't, my heartbeat didn't really calm down until the wheels lifted. But when they did, we came home and I was met, you know, met at the airport by my mum and my dad. Mm. And, and this journey of restoration began. Yeah. I mean, you don't write the script, do you? But um, um, how, so how did you rebuild your life after all the wheels came off? With the help of some really good people is the truth. My family were amazing mm -hmm. and just so supportive. I was able to move into the house next door to my parents, which was, you know, such a gift. Um, and, and my church were wonderful. My small brethren church who had literally no idea theologically what to do with me, yeah. but they knew that they loved me. And so they they pushed through, you know, they pushed through. And some people came out and helped me redecorate this house all summer long. I just remember like, it was endless. My mum was forever feeding people who came in, stripped floors and stripped wallpaper and painted and, and constructed furniture. And other people came and helped with the garden. Some people came and babysat so I could go to job interviews. One lady, and I will never forget this, gave me gifts every month out of a housekeeping allowance oh. so one month it was a salt and pepper shaker i've got a little set of mixing bowls that all stuck into each other just something little but significant that was useful every month and you know 20 years on i've still got those things mm. because they remind me that when i most needed it god's people stepped in and helped put me back together and over those years it was that you know i people often say did you ever have therapy and i didn't at the time i didn't have the money i felt like i didn't have the time and i was terrified i'd lose it like i was terrified if i, if I start, start yeah. unraveling this yeah, I, I might not i might not come back and i've got two little girls i mean one was three months old when i came back and the other was 18 months old i have to like i have to keep them alive and i have to help us grow as a family and i need them to grow up into amazing strong women and i i haven't i can't afford to do this at the moment in every shape but actually by ploughing everything into making a home, getting a job, raising my girls. And then, but in, but in the context of this loving, warm church and, you know, biological family around me, God slowly put the pieces of my heart back together. And, you know, over the rest of the years, every now and again, something rears its head and I go, okay, it's time now for me to deal with whatever it is that links back to those days. But mm. No, it was it was extraordinary, but I would never, you know, I don't know where I'd have been if I'd have been on my own. Yeah, well, I, well, the church gets a lot of bad press, doesn't it? And sometimes does things really badly. But let's honour <laughs> that brethren assembly, your your community there, and your fabulous yeah. parents, because I mean, often we do things we do do things really well, and uh, you know, we people tend to focus on on the, the scandals and the bad stuff, but that was just you know dogged loving of you wasn't it beautiful yeah uh, can you talk really a bit was. about i mean I'm, I'm guessing you still even though you've shown loads of grace i'm guessing you felt shame as as a divorcee as a as a failure i mean i mean that, those are things that might come up mm. as lies from the enemy and loads of people have been through that horrific painful process of divorce so can you speak into that a bit Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know for years and st still occasionally sometimes, you know, 20 years old, it still pops its head up. Mm -hmm. But there's, you know, people will see Steve and I together and we've, you know, we've raised a family and we do things and sometimes we're on platforms and we're all over the place. They go, wow, you know, and the, but actually the reality is we're both divorced and we mm -hmm. both come from this background. <laughs> and and once people find that out, then they might change how they look at you slightly. And I have this innate need 
that I have learned to get over to go, oh, but you need to understand that actually it was because it was, you know, and to launch into yeah, yeah. a justification of who I am. And actually, mm. I, I don't need to. And that's taken me a long time to learn. And it's taken me a long time to get over, really. But I've also learned, and it's been really beautiful. Steve and I, you know, mostly we've got separate work worlds really going on you know we both follow jesus and we both that's similar but generally i do my job he does his job but the one place we collide is that every year it's spring harvest since we've been married actually (laughs) we've led all age worship together which we have an absolute ball and love doing but we really early on realized that it was a real gift to some of the families in that you know who came to be part of the celebrations we did when they realised that we were a blended family, when they realised that, you know, we were stepmom and stepdad and stepkids and, you know, and it was all a bit messy. And the number of people who came to speak to us afterwards saying, so if you, you know, we just did the maths on when you said you got married and how old your kids are, you know, so does that mean that you, you're divorced? I'd say, yes, it does actually, you know, without justifying. And they say, that's amazing. We're divorced and we just assumed we could never do anything anymore for the church. Mm. I know. Like God's plan for your life doesn't end when, you know, something goes wrong. It doesn't. Amen. And I think that's a real redemptive part of our story for both of us, actually. Yeah. Uh, some of you listening, I mean, you just need to hear that. I mean, I, I mm. sort of had goosebumps come over me just as you said that, because I, I think, you know, words are so powerful and God can use any of us, you know, our... God, the light shines through the cracks. That might sound cliche, but you know it's our story. God wo- weaves this tapestry of of, of redemption, doesn't he? Mm. So you are remarried. You have got this probably nutty family of blended, you know, sort of five daughters at different stages. It sounds like a, a massive challenge. Both of you are busy people doing lots of stuff. What have you learned along the way? Oh my, <laughs> that's a whole podcast in itself. Sure. <laughs> uh, we uh, so when we got married, we had children aged between five and 15 five of them so there's big fat spread of age ranges um and from you know to the youngest two are mine the eldest are steve's and we took them on our honeymoon which you know i don't <laughs> know how recommended that is but it did it, it was good we had a second honeymoon that was just us but actually it was from the beginning it was we I, we were incredibly fortunate and i think one of the I've always had that verse in my mind, you know, that God does immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. And, you know, when I left my first marriage, I never imagined I'd ever meet anybody again, or even that I should. I just didn't. That wasn't that wasn't playing in my head at all, mm-hmm. you know. And then as time went on, and I began to think, well, it would be quite nice to share this with somebody, but I, ne- I never imagined that it could be as straight as that the people that it could be as joyous and that it could be as wonderful. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of so so many challenges along the way. But actually, right early on, taking those kids together, we all went away on honey and we went to Jersey and they all got on so well. It was beautiful. And we just had this extraordinary, you know, grace for each other in that space. And the kids got on really nicely. And, you know, <laughs> as time goes on, you realise that like any family, mm-hmm. that will go wrong. And then when there's other people in the mix, you know, exes and other sets of grandparents and all kinds, then actually all kinds of different pressures come in and feed and... I think the one thing that Steve and I have really learned throughout, and actually I think we've been, I think it's one of the things we've, there's plenty of mistakes we've made, but it's one of the things we've done well is we've held together the two of us really close, even when things have come in from the outside to try and get between us. Mm -hmm. And I think the kids needed that. Actually, we needed it. Our marriage needed it. But actually the family needs that, that, that solid 
foundation at the middle that is secure because as they go in and out of school and in and out of their own relationships and in and out of friendship problems and you know teenage hormones if if that relationship at the center of the marriage at the center of the family can hold still and steadfast there's a really strong foundation they'll always come back and they'll always you know kind of plug back in um, but it gives them that place of security and i think you know we we manage to do that pretty well most of the time yeah and uh, i mean you both sort of embody life to the full i i think and, and lots of energy and fun in the house i'm sure what how does faith fit into family life what's it look like for you guys you know it's it's something we're both really passionate about actually i am you know it was my we've got really different backgrounds steve wasn't raised in a christian family and i was i was raised doing bible study before bed every night you know little bible notes and and all of that and he wasn't and so when we got married we were trying to work out what how will we do this with our kids and there's such different ages and it's really challenging you know engaging with older children and younger ones but I think we just tried to model Jesus a bit like I grew up with Jesus being part of the family if something you know we'll pray to him whatever happens in the day we'll pray at meal times but we'll pray at bedtimes and we'll pray if somebody you know doesn't feel very well and we'll pray if someone's got exams and we'll pray before we go on car journey it's just including Jesus in the family and going and and the truth is in our family it's been challenging because you know, some of our children have parents for whom faith isn't important. And so they live in one house sometimes where it is and another where it isn't. Mm. And they've got slightly different messages coming in. And so the other thing we've realized is you can't force anything. All you can do, and actually all God ever asks us to do, is to drop seeds yeah. and let him be the farmer. Let him be the one who will do the watering and the, bring the seasons around in time. And sometimes we think the seasons come too slow. And, you know, at the moment, you know, our girls are in different stages of faith. Some are absolutely racing forward and some are, you know, they're a bit like I was at uni with their hands over their ears and going la la. But it's that trusting, trusting your family into God's hands as well, I think is, is really important. But, mm. but we, but we love it. And I think, you know, we've actually written a set of devotional books for families. And uh, because I'm, so Steve and I are polar opposites in many, many ways. We're very much talk and cheese. He's not a talker. I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so and I, I'm the one who picks up all those, you know, late night conversations with the girls about everything that's gone wrong in the day. And they wait till midnight to tell you. But I, I think families should talk. And I think we should talk about the difficult things and the challenging things and the things that make everyone squirm a bit sometimes. Um, and I think a lot of families really struggle to find that time. So we we created these books, which will take a little chunk of the Bible, a little story from the Bible and create space for whole families to talk about big questions and faith questions at the same time. And I, I hope that will help people um, if they're able to, you know, just tap in and use that as a resource. We'll stick it in the um, in the blurb afterwards, but just to give it a plug right now, what's it called? Uh, so there's there's five different ones. And they're all called something together. So there's life together. Now my brain's gone. Advent together. That's the fifth one. Life together, all together. Something else together. You'll you'll find Becca and Steve Leg, and you'll find it. Okay, brilliant, nice one. Well, yeah, it's challenging to find good children's material. I, I, do you know what? We, we we actually did do one of them about three years ago, I think. Uh, with our kids so yeah great stuff big recommendation ah. there um so children grown i think they're all grown up now how old's the youngest oh the youngest is 19 right so you are you just started as an empty nester is that right yeah yes well we we, we lost the last three in one weekend in september oh, last traumatic. year it was devastating yeah it was 
it was like a post-COVID catch-up. <laughs> it just went at once and it was it was pretty traumatic actually. Right, and so, then quite nice. So what does yeah what does what does life look like now then? So well in the last couple of years I've started working more full time than I had done when they were all younger. So that's been quite fun. Um and and actually it's just that for as a mum, not feeling the guilt anymore of working a little bit late or not feeling that kind of constant tug between being a mom and and you know my role in my job or whatever that's been over the years you know and I just think actually I, I have enjoyed just being able to focus on one thing as the as the main thing that's been lovely and for Steve and I it's been an opportunity to try and you know work out how we do life together just the two of us because we've never had that ever mm-hmm. you know we took six kids on honeymoon <laughs> So, so, so actually working at what two, two of us is like was, it's been, it's been an interesting journey, although a weird one, because a month after the girls left, we discovered Steve had cancer. So it wasn't quite the year we expected, but, but it has been, we've had fun along the way. And he's restored now, is he? He's on his way to restoration is what we're praying. He's um, had surgery, he's had the cancer surgically removed and now he's having immunotherapy and the tumors keep popping their little heads up on his it's on his foot which is very unusual but it's on his foot so a couple of tumors keep popping their heads up and then they get cut out as well but i think as the immunotherapy continues it should stop that from happening okay well listen right now father god we as a community of faith we pray for steve we pray for his foot we pray that against any other tumor popping its head up we declare healing over him we agree on that in jesus name amen amen Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast So uh, you are the CEO of Restored, and uh, mm. as, as I said at the start, massive vision. Uh, tell us, tell us a little more about that. Yeah, massive vision. Uh, Restored. I, I've been at Restored for two years, but Restored was founded in 2010, uh, 2010 by two wonderful people, Mandy Marshall and Peter Grant, who at the time worked for Tear Fund, but who had just become very aware at a new at a World AIDS conference actually. Um, of just the devastating reality and scope and enormity, really, of violence against women and girls around the world. Mm-hmm. And Peter describes it, this you know big conference in Mexico, as his um, Toronto blessing moment. I nearly forgot my words then. But yeah, he describes it as his Toronto blessing moment. And he said he's never experienced the Holy Spirit like he did in that place. And they left with these two Holy Spirit-given questions what is the church doing about this and where are the men? Mm. And out of that, long story short, came Restored, 
with a with a mandate to engage the church and to engage men in trying to end violence against women and girls. And another long story cut short, they began to realise that actually the form of violence that women are most likely to experience is domestic abuse. And so actually, and then they did some research and they discovered that there's no difference between the rates and prevalence of domestic abuse outside the church to within it. It's just that it takes Christian women or men for that matter, actually, much longer to yeah. speak up and look for help because of exactly. all the same reasons I did 20 yeah. years ago. I've made my bed. I need to lie on it. God doesn't like divorce. Marriage is for life. I should forgive, pray harder, submit more. You know, it, the, it goes on and on and on. And actually, so now the focus of Restored is very much that our mission is to still speak up about violence against women and girls, to help people recognise it as an enormous issue that we can be doing something about, but fundamentally to equip the church to stand against domestic abuse and to support survivors. And so that really is the full um, focus of our work nowadays is training the church, partnering with the church, you know, helping them to be real beacons of hope in their community. And then we have an online survivors network for Christian women, recognising that they're very specific, unique context in which they're trying to navigate the world Mm, um and we've got about 450 women in that network it was 152 years ago it's absolutely you know just gone through the roof over the last couple of years which i suppose is a is a good thing but a bad thing isn't it because it's good that you're obviously you know it's meeting a need but bad that highlights how big it is what did you say one in one in four people in the church are impacted yeah one in four um so have you got you know any any sort of poignant beautiful encouraging stories of of case studies if you like of what you've done oh so many that i could tell you go on, but we love stories go for it oh I've, I've got i'm gonna tell you about a group so we, we've had this survivors network for six years and it's grown and to, and to begin with and at its very simplest level people just sign up and they'll receive an email with some information and you know help them to understand things and they get access to an archive of information but a year ago we decided to pilot running a small group so we put out an email to, to within this network at which point we put about 300 women and we just said you know we've got 12 spaces we're piloting a group we're using it's just mental well-being resource and um, it's not recovery course you know is anyone interested 12 women had signed up within three hours and with a waiting list which was hmm. extraordinary yeah and and then we um and then i and then I, I started to deliver this, this, you know, it was a 12-week course. And on the very first week, we had 12 women. And honestly, I had one lady getting up at 4 a.m. in the, you know, in, in the U.S. to join because there's, you know, nothing really over there um, that's similar. And uh, and then women from all across the U.K., this completely diverse range of women who'd left, you know, various stages of leaving their abusers and in various stages of life and like just so diverse and different. Mm. And halfway through the first very first session one lady just said oh can we just stop a minute you know and of course at this point i'd permissioned them to turn off videos step away if it's all a bit much whatever and i said no no no, that's absolutely fine take as much time as you need and she said no she said, i just want to stop and enjoy she said i need to tell you i've just realized i finally found my people you understand my faith and you understand what i've been through and i've never had this before yeah and you know, and it was just this moment where you know, like all the hairs on the back of my neck went up. Mm. And I thought, oh, we're going to do this again and again and again and again because it is precious to create this community for women who have been so isolated, you know, by, by their spouses, by their, 
often by their churches as well have contributed to that you know i i now realize just how fortunate i was to have such a supportive church because sometimes church doesn't get it and then that compounds the situation and it was just this beautiful thing but this this group of women they're just extraordinary Mm. and uh, and i they were the highlight of my week all last summer and you know the beautiful thing is the course finished last july and they still meet every wednesday morning and uh, you know they dip in and out different ones. You know they've got work now; it's not lockdown anymore. But it's um, they've just become a community of friends mm. who cheer each other on. And in occasionally, you know, I, I sometimes you know I, I speak out and about different places, and I suddenly realise that I've got three of them in the room. I'm like, oh. well, you guys have travelled to catch up. I love this, <laughs> and it's and it's just beautiful. And then one of those ladies, another lady, she um, and she had literally left her husband about a couple of months before and then her dad had you know like loads of things had happened and at the beginning week one she was so quiet and so withdrawn um and you know i remember doing an icebreaker you know what's your favorite film and she and she couldn't even answer the questions because and you find this with people who've been through significant trauma their their brains just can't function normally mm. making decisions answering questions is just too much and she really was in a very dark difficult place um and then about six weeks in she came on beam absolutely beaming and i said oh what's happened this is amazing and uh and she said oh becca i found a church and uh so the context of that is is that when she left her husband her church had basically asked her to leave the church and which of course had just made everything so much worse and i said that's amazing what you know tell me and she said well i saw that they signposted restored on their website for survivors of domestic abuse and when i saw that i knew they'd understand Mm. and you know and i was delighted but i was also a little bit nervous because i thought golly i I don't know who they are (laughs) i don't Mm. i don't know if they will understand and actually it it put a that you know and what i love now is that a year later she's firmly part of the church she's helping to support other people in the community you know she's a different woman to the woman i met back in may last year um it's extraordinary but actually it really cemented something in my head we were trying to work through some kind of church partnership model and it was the moment when i thought we need some kind of logo that churches can carry that say they've worked with us they've partnered with us and they've committed standing against domestic abuse so we've launched this last year a whole new initiative called restored beacons where churches can um, sign up basically to be trained from top to bottom to understand recognize respond to domestic abuse and to choose to say actually we're going to talk about this in our church it's not going to be taboo we are going to you know challenge the culture around us which you know is really toxic and we're going to live a different way um, and so we've, we've launched that and we're really excited to be working with churches. But uh, I always want to tell this lady, you know, some of this is you, you, you well, she knows it. <laughs> I have told her, you know, this is you, you, that day when I saw your face light up because you found a church yeah, was when I realised we need to create a network of churches all around this country where people can find a church and they can find family and they can find a space to recover in just like I had all those years ago. So yeah, that's the that's the real thrust of what we're trying to do at the moment. Wonderful. Well, listen, a lot of us will will know of someone who's in that rough spot right now, or if we don't know right now, we will know. So it's so good to sort of flag this on on people's radars. Where should people go to get involved with Restored? So our website is um, restored-uk.org, 
And there you can find the training that we run, the resources that we have, the survivors, you know, uh, there's a page that survivors can use to sign up and find out more information or to receive some free resources. Everything's on there. It's all, I think it's quite navigatable. We're, we're working on it being even easier, but it's, it's all there. Brilliant. Okay. And then, um, so, you know, it's been a long journey from single mum to CEO. Uh, how, how have you navigated that path? you know it, it it's amazing isn't it how where you end up sometimes yeah. and i think and i want to tell people that you know 20 years ago when i arrived back in england with two suitcases and two little girls i could no more have imagined where i am now mm. than i could have imagined going to the moon and yeah. um, and and actually and god didn't tell me this is where i was going to end up i didn't know that i just had a gentle journey of oh going through the next open door um, and my career path looked bonkers. You know, I've taught, I worked as an office manager in a, you know, dot-com business in Bristol. I supply taught again. I ended up working for a local charity, running, you know, relationships workshops in schools. Then I started running a magazine, you know, it was like a sister magazine to Steve's Sorted magazine. Mm-hmm. I ended up working for Compassion as a PR manager. I've done all these different things. And each time it was frightening because it's a big new step, something mm-hmm. I hadn't done before. But it but it built a bit on what where I'd been. Mm-hmm. So then when I saw this job at Restored come up and had that, you know, becoming it's becoming quite a familiar little feeling of, oh, oh, I think I've got to push this door. Um, I started to look at it and feel utterly inadequate and think, well, I've got no training for this. And I've got and and then look backwards and thought, no, do you know what? I think I do. I think I, you know, I've learned I've learned communications working when I was working at Compassion. I learned, you know, I actually bizarrely learned a lot about fundraising when I was working in Bristol. I have worked in this in the women's, you know, violence against women's sector when I was doing relationship workshops in school and I worked with local police at that time, you know, doing rape prevention work. And I thought, oh, gosh, God, you are so and I've even, you know, my lot my most recent job before now was working in leadership in a church. I thought, so I God, you're so clever without mm. me ever going on a course that was clearly destining me for where I am, yeah. actually, you've slowly but surely been, you've had me on a training course all along. You know, even down to, I did my master's in theology and ended up focusing on violence against women and girls in particular for my dissertation because it, it just, I, I, I needed some answers. I needed to know what the Bible had to say. And I thought I was doing it for me. And now I realise I was doing it for you know, all these women that are in our survivors network and I'm doing it so that I can help church leaders navigate the Bible and understand what does the Bible say, because I've spent two years studying it and, Mm. you know, and I didn't see it coming, but, you know, I just love that God, God, God's, God's, you know, he's, he's chapters ahead of us in the story of our life, isn't he? And and, um, sometimes I'm quite glad I can't see the future. It'd probably terrify me. Mm. Yeah. I trust him with it. Amen. Um, so, Becca, I, I don't want us to have missed out on anything you really wanted to share. So, la- last opportunity. Have, have we missed out anything or are you happy? I don't think there is anything, actually. You know, it's always loads, isn't there? But no, I think that's all. Wonderful. There's uh, No, I just think, you know, I think my life is a story and a testament to a God who's bigger than we ever imagine and who is bigger than the mistakes we make and he's bigger than... No, then, then what we see is our inadequacies and our weaknesses and that if we stop striving to become something and sit back and just keep walking through the doors he opens in front of us, then actually it's incredible to see what he'll do with our lives and to see who he will impact with our lives and, and the difference that we can make. Amen. Listen, folks, um, restored-uk.org. 
if you can think of anyone who needs help along those lines if you want to be involved in that if you want your church to get involved that'd be brilliant if you want those uh, bible materials for, for families uh, to do stuff with your kids that's a uh, life together all together advent together that's uh, if you put in steve and becca lega we love pushing people through to um saint andrew's bookshop way because they're, they're they're key supporters for us so um do go and get that material but becca i want to say a massive thank you to you for, for giving us your time and I, I i leave this inspired encouraged and strengthened my faith so god bless you loads thank you wonderful okay guys well listen if you've been inspired and encouraged i'd love you to give us a top quality review on spotify or itunes all that means is the, the algorithms that none of us really understand it means that more people get to be ministered to with encouragement and uh, we, we get flagged up to them so love it if you give us a good review if you could subscribe if you could gossip this podcast to other people pass it on to people you know it'll minister and encourage that'd be brilliant we'd be doing me a favour uh, if you want to be in touch with me simongilbert.com or any of the social media platforms um, I would like to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandiman for the mixing and next week we've got another superb guest so join us again in the meantime God bless you loads and toodaloo <laughs>